This episode is brought to you by genealogybargains.com. Holiday sales have already started and Genealogy Bargains has all the latest promo codes and coupons on family history products, including DNA tests, software, and more. Visit genealogybargains.com. Welcome to the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the show from America's number one genealogy magazine. I'm your host, Lisa Louise Cook. Our theme for this November 2017 episode is sharing family history for the holidays. We'll start things off at the Genealogy Insider blog, where Diane has some great ways to help you share your family history during the holidays. And then in the top tips segment, Shelley Bishop is here to talk about how you can publish your own family history book. In our 101 Best Website segment, we'll talk with Dave Frixell about Treelines. It's a genealogy website providing a unique way to share your family's history. And in the Family Tree University Crash Course segment, instructor Shannon Combs Bennett is here to help prep you for talking to your relatives during the holidays about DNA testing. And finally, over at the publisher's desk, Diane Haddad is sitting in, and she'll explain why. And she's got the perfect resources for furthering your genealogical sharing. There's a lot to cover, so let's get started with the news from the blogosphere with Diane Haddad. It's time to check in on the blogosphere with genealogy insider blogger and Family Tree Magazine editor, Diane Haddad. Hi, Diane. Hello. In this episode, we are looking for great ways to share our family history during the holidays. And I see over at the blog that you've certainly been busy doing just that. So tell us about your latest project. It was fun to do. It was actually last year's Christmas present for my dad. He's so hard to shop for. I think a lot of people probably have that with their parents. Um, But he um, has expressed in the past few years, he's asked me different things about how do I find out this about my family? And so I thought it would be a really good idea to put together a little family history book about some of the research that I've done. So give us um, an idea of what size, what kind of format of a book are we talking about? It was eight and a half by 11. I just did it at Ancestry.com has this My Canvas. And there is lots of different photo book sites that people could use. Uh, My Canvas actually lets you pull in records that you've already uploaded to your family tree. So that was just the easiest way to go for me. And I think it had about 30 pages. Not too long, not, you know, not super expensive to do. Right. So Diane, this sounds like a great project. And I know people are listening, they're thinking, oh, I'd love to do that. But it those kinds of projects can sometimes get unwieldy. So how did yeah. you kind of keep it manageable so you could really finish it? There are a few things I did. Um, I think probably the most important thing was I had a narrow focus. I decided that I would focus on my dad's dad because he was kind of a mystery person for the early part of his life. And so then I focused even more narrowly on that early part of his life that I just thought about what's the most interesting stuff I found and what would mean the most to my recipient, which was my dad. So that's kind of how I came up with that focus. 
I could have, you know, gone all out and done the whole family, which it would be awesome to do one day, but probably not in the time frame that I had. Yeah. And you're trying to create a digestible book, if you will, you know, something that the non-genealogist will sit down and look at. And you're talking about 30 right. pages. That's really doable. But of course, that's not going to do the whole family. So that makes total sense. So you had to pick some photos and records and things that you're going to include, right? Yeah. Yeah. I did not put in everything that I've ever found, which also (laughs) one day would be great to do. But I wanted to focus on things that would have the most meaning for the book. So I went with um, newspaper articles that had pictures and pictures from the college yearbook that I turned up, which was good because there aren't a lot of those pictures of his early life around. So so I thought that would be very meaningful. Um, Items that had surprising insights into his personality I put in the blog that when he went to college for engineering, there was this sweetheart competition. And, you know, it was like a a thing that usually college girls would run for. Well, he decided to run as Josephine. So (laughs) it was kind of a joke and it was mentioned in the yearbook and there was a little newspaper article about it. So I put that in there and then things that just showed where the family was at certain times, just like regular demonstrations of where the family was. So like census records, for example, things that showed life changes. So I I put in digital images of the application um, when he was accepted into the orphanage that he grew up in. It sounds like you kind of went at it chronologically. You got kind of created a timeline in that kind of a format, right? Yes. And this is one of the things that I put in the blog post and linked to another blog post I did just about this timeline. I had a map and then I had a timeline of his life and then I numbered the events in his life and I put those on the map. And the blog post I linked to explains kind of how I did that. And that was just a nice digestible summary. And it also helped me go through and write the narrative because I could see, like, I want to cover this event, I want to cover this event, you know, what do I have related to each thing? So it really helped me organize the project. Sure, and probably helps the reader kind of grasp what we're talking about here, you know, how he fits into the rest of the world and, and time. Yes. And you talked about that you printed a draft first. And it's such a smart idea, because I find this in working on my books that there's nothing like seeing it in print. You think you've covered everything online or on your on your computer screen, and then you find typos and things when it's printed. Yes, yes. So I proofread it and everything on screen, ordered my copy, proofread it again. And even that distance while you're waiting for it to arrive, getting that, that distance from you know the information you've been working with also helps you spot things. So yeah, I found a few more typos and like, oh, this you know, I called this particular institution one thing here and then a slightly different thing here. And I wanted that to be consistent. So um, so I fixed those little things and then ordered my dad's copy. Terrific. And I see that uh, in your five-step process here that you gave yourself plenty of time. That's an important part, isn't it? I did, yes. I had started it in early October and I would, um, we'd watch a TV show at night and I'd be working on my computer. So Hopefully people (laughs) will have maybe some more time to devote to it during the day if they don't do small children. Right, right. Well, and this is a really good time to start. You know, it is something that you could kind of pick away for an hour in the evening, each evening and have something ready for the holidays. Well, this is terrific. I'm going to have a link in the show notes to take everybody listening over to your blog post to kind of help them walk through the process of creating their own family history book. Thanks so much for sharing, Diane. You're welcome. 
everybody loves a good book. And in today's top tip segment, genealogy author Shelley Bishop is here to talk about how you can publish your own family history book to share for the holidays. Hi, Shelley. Hi, Lisa. So great to have you back here on the podcast. I love this article. Thank you. I'm thrilled to be talking with you today. I really believe that creating a family history book is the best way to preserve the discoveries you've made about your ancestors and the best way to share them with other family members. Absolutely. In fact, in this article, which appears in the October 2017 issue of Family Tree Magazine, the article's called An Open Book, you really make this look doable. And I love the fact that you bring us from this idea of that it has to be some big mega lifetime work to it can be something smaller and maybe um, more story oriented or even kind of little chapters of our life so that it's easy to finish and it's easy for the family members to read it. Definitely. Online do-it-yourself bookmaking programs make it easier than ever to create a keepsake book that your family is going to cherish. You don't have to feel like you're all done with your family research before you start making a book. The best time really to do it is now. Now let's talk about some of the ideas that you have in this article for the kinds of books that our listeners can share. What do you recommend? What are the categories? Well, one type of book that I love and highly recommend, especially if this is your first time trying your hand at bookmaking, is a photo book. Photo books are versatile and easy to create. All you really need is a set of photos about one subject, like a person or a couple that you want to honor, a particular event in your family's history, a place your family gathers, or a collection, like your grandmother's recipes. You simply scan and upload those photos to a photo book site, choose one of the design themes they offer, and they offer a lot of them. Then you add some captions or some story snippets to go with them and kind of explain a little bit of the background about the photos that you're featuring. Photo books are printed on glossy paper in full color, so they make beautiful gifts. And they're relatively inexpensive. Best of all, they're quick to make. Once you've gathered your photos and scanned them, you can create a beautiful book in just a few hours. So that's really what I'd recommend starting with. I did one of these books several years ago. Gosh, it's got to be 10 years now, just when this on-demand publishing was first starting. And I talked about it on my show because it was just a revelation to me that I didn't have to have all the research done. And I was able to kind of pick a story. So I started with my grandmother and her nursing career. So it wasn't her whole life. And it was really focused on when she was going through nursing school. So I kind of followed the timeline of the pictures that she already had in her scrapbook. And I added more of the information that I had found. And it ended up being about 20 pages, double-sided, glossy color. And I was thrilled to see even non-genealogists in my family reading it from cover to cover. And that's really what we're going for, right? Oh, absolutely. That is a perfect example. You've chosen one part of an ancestor's life where you've got the photos. It makes an interesting story. And no, that's just absolutely a perfect example of what you can do with these kind of books. Well, I love it. What are some of the other kinds of photo books that you suggest to your readers? 
Some other kinds of photo books would be a, like a memoir type of book. You can do use photos of a parent or your grandparents or something like that with stories that you've drawn from interviews or even your own memories. For an ancestor who lived longer ago, you can do a biographical sketch with photos of the family of places they lived maybe a few records that you found on them, along with biographical antidotes or little story snippets. Similar to that would be like a historical family album featuring old photos and memorabilia of one family line or surname. Right. And I think with the documents there, again, it's a little different when you're working in a book, because normally we look at entire documents, but I found that sometimes just zooming in on the place maybe the title of it, and then where my great-grandfather signed the document, something like that. Because again, non-genealogists really aren't going to be pouring over it the way we do, but it's really the emphasis that these are real people in history. Definitely. Yes. It is important just to pull out the details that are going to be most meaningful to the people who are reading the book, because you want to capture their attention. You can do even a simple book for a child as a gift on our family with pictures of living family members as well as those who might have passed away. And that makes a wonderful gift. You can do a book on a family reunion. You can do a book on an ancestor's hometown, maybe the place where the family came from. You can even take an old scrapbook or old photo album and almost make a reproduction of it by taking pictures of the pages or scanning the pages and doing that. Recipe book is a wonderful kind of uh, collection-oriented book. If you're lucky enough to have a collection of recipes, that makes a really fun book to circulate among the family. Oh, gosh, I'm already getting excited. It's it's November. It's early November when we're recording this. And I'm thinking about, you know, six different books I want to make. <laughs> Tell our listeners some of your favorite self-publishing book services are. Where do we go to make this happen? Well, for those photo books, there are a variety of different publishers. There's a site called Blurb, blurb.com, that has ready-made layouts that help you design your book. There's also a site called Mixbook that has, I think, some over 80 family-oriented design themes, including like memoir and cookbook and reunion. Shutterfly, which is a photo printing site, they have wonderful templates and design elements that can help you make your book. There's another publisher called My Canvas that I really recommend, not only photo books, but a more kind of comprehensive type project that maybe we'll talk about here in a minute. Right. So let's dig into that. Isn't My Canvas owned by Ancestry? My Canvas is no longer owned by Ancestry. It used to be. But uh, Ancestry has spun it off now to the publisher, which is Alexander's. But it still offers complete integration with your Ancestry account. And if you, so if you have an Ancestry memory, uh, Ancestor member tree, it will pull the information and the records that you have in that tree and automatically format them into a book for you. Oh, see, and that's great. It just saves so much time. We've touched on some great ideas here. And of course, this episode is all about sharing your family history. This is a great way to do it. So those of you listening, you need to go dig into the October, November 2017 issue of the magazine, because there you're going to get all of the details from Shelley in her article, An Open Book. 
Shelly, thanks so much for being on the show. Always great to talk to you. Thank you very much, Lisa. It's been a pleasure. Everybody loves a good deal. And when it comes to genealogy, you want to make sure that you're spending your dollars the right way. Thomas McKenty is here with us today, and he is with Genealogy Bargains. And they are sponsoring this episode for you. And he's here to share some tips on getting the most for your genealogy dollar. Hi, Thomas. Hey, Lisa. Thanks for having me on the show. I'm excited to talk about what's coming up for Black Friday and Cyber Monday in the near future. Thomas, Thanksgiving is just around the corner. Does that mean that we'll be seeing some Black Friday deals on genealogy products and services? Well, Black Friday sales are already here. This year, there's fierce competition in the genealogy market, and that's going to benefit you and me as consumers. We're already seeing DNA test kits as low as $49 each, and there also will be amazing free shipping as well as discounted subscription renewal offers. That sounds terrific. I know at Genealogy Bargains that you provide tips on getting the best deals. What are some of your best savvy shopping strategies? Well, I want to offer some tips on how to stay on top of the Black Friday offers and how to shop savvy while reaping the most benefits possible. So one thing you should look for is don't buy too early and also do your research. Now, most vendors are going to give the best offer on Friday, November 24th. That is the traditional Black Friday even though that has always been an in-person shopping day, it's migrated more towards online shopping. Then on Monday, the 27th, that's known as Cyber Monday. That all started when people had a better, stronger connection to the internet at work. So they would wait and do their online shopping when they got to work on Monday. Well, So it is still Cyber Monday. You'll see a lot more technology-oriented items on the 27th. And many of these offers will extend through to the 30th of November. Those are great ideas. Where can our listeners follow you online so you can guide them through the holiday shopping season? You can track all the latest bargains at genealogybargains.com. We've got the latest promo codes. We're always searching for more. We're always looking for special deals. And actually, we negotiate deals with vendors such as Family Tree Magazine, Ancestry.com, 23andMe, MyHeritage, and others. Well, thanks for having me on the show. I hope that everyone can save some money. And we know that's important in genealogy. Thanks so much, Thomas. Be sure and visit Genealogy Bargains at genealogybargains.com. Thanks. Well, since our theme for this episode is the best of 2017, in this 101 Best Website segment, I thought I would just invite the author of the list, David Frixell, back to the show to talk about his own personal favorite websites. Hi, Dave. Hello. Nice to be back. It's great to have you back. You've been sharing some wonderful websites from the list with us uh, throughout the year. I would love to hear about your personal favorites. I'll bet you have a few. Well, yes. And, you know, it, this one may seem obvious, but there's a particular reason why I think this one really both rises to the top as a favorite, and uh, it also kind of epitomizes the theme of this year, which was free, 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 free. Mm-hmm. So, you know, <clears throat> while there are a lot of good websites that are subscription sites, and I use those, there is one free website that I find I use the most and that uh, is really delivering the most value, and that should come as no surprise. And that's FamilySearch. 
But there's a reason why I think family search is particularly worth pointing out this year, besides the fact that I use it so much. And that's because of a fundamental change that has been made that really affects all genealogists. And that's that as of uh, August 31st, um, the Family History Library is no longer shipping out microfilm. And, you know, it used to be, I mean, I would go to the, when the uh, Family History Center, the closest to us, and squint at the microfilm and sit there and scroll and try to find my family. And it worked. Um, and it was pretty amazing that you could borrow the microfilm, but it was also, let's face it, kind of a pain. But I think that this shift really signals, you know, a whole new era for online genealogy because <clears throat> the only reason they can get away with, in effect, saying, you know, we're not going to ship that microfilm out all the time is because so much of it now is online for free at FamilySearch. Right. And that's an amazing feat. I know they've been working on getting everything in that vault digitized. It's not totally done yet, obviously, but they're getting so close. It's really exciting. Yeah. And in just in recent years, you know, when when we covered FamilySearch's launch back in the magazine um, years and years ago, it had a couple of cool things, but really it was pretty limited. Mm -hmm. And so... You know, if that was the only time you ever visited Family Search, you might think, oh, yeah, okay, I got pedigree stuff and, you know, that. But the number of real records, and that's what I'm always into, is real records mm -hmm. um, that are online now, it's just enormous. They have more than 1.5 million roles, including some of the most popular ones. And what their goal is, is that by 2020, that they're going to put everything that, they, that otherwise you could have gotten on microfilm up on the website. So instead of having to sit in, you know, the Family History Library or the Family History Center, you know, down in your neighborhood, and, you know, you can only use it there and, you know, certain hours and they're not open on Wednesday maybe or you know, whatever. Right. Um, instead, you're sitting there in your pajamas looking at these, at these records, you know, right on your own computer. So that's, that's a pretty hard-to-beat kind of thing, and I think a huge development for genealogy that it's really – it's really all about online now. You know, when we first started the magazine, there was a few cool websites, and we did our first 101. But, you know, the amount of real genealogy you could do online all those years ago, it, it, not so much. It mm -hmm. was more like tips and sharing and uh, message boards, and all that was cool. But, you know, could you really find, you know, your, your Belarusian ancestors from you know 1842 on microfilm probably not but now i mean it's really on there i'm just looking at the new records they added one week this fall and they range from you know buenos aires catholic church records australia sh immigrant ships papers chile civil registrations england warwickshire parish records massachusetts state vital records I mean, this is just one week yeah. of records, and the list goes on and on and on. So it's easy to just sort of take it for granted that, wow, it's nice that they're putting all that online. But when we're celebrating things that are free, that's, it's really quite a bonanza of free stuff. And it's worth checking back really, you know, every couple of weeks to see if maybe those records that previously would have had to get in on microfilm and do a lot of squinting on um, are now on your, available on your computer. Yeah. I mean, over at my site, Genealogy Gems, I mean, every Friday now, we have a dedicated post that outlines all the new records that are coming out. FamilySearch is always 
heavy on that list. And, you know, there was a time when you really couldn't do that every week because there wasn't that much happening, but not today. Can you imagine what it's going to look like in 10 years? I mean, we couldn't have imagined the the volume of records that are on and available today. I, I'm just really excited to think what could happen in 10 or 20 years. When you add in then the records that are available on subscription sites like Ancestry yeah. or MyHeritage or Find My Past, you know, really the availability, the ability to do record searches that once you would have had to either get microfilm, go to some dusty archive. I mean, if it's not online now, it probably will be, uh, you know, within our lifetimes. And, uh, you know, we just need to keep those modems fired up pretty much. Keep refreshing the browser and they'll be, <laughs> they'll be there eventually. Well, and that's a very good message, I think, for this segment, which is not only was this a terrific website that you've certainly chosen as your personal favorite, but it's a great reminder that it may have been just a few weeks, a few months, a year since you last looked at it. And there could be all kinds of new information that you've been waiting for that's already there now. So it's it's worth revisiting. Great reminder. All right, Dave. Well, this is great. FamilySearch.org. Sounds like a good favorite to me. Thank you so much for sharing and for all the work that you do pulling these lists together every year. Happy to do it. Thanks so much. Well, it's time for the Family Tree University Crash Course, and Shannon Combs Bennett is back to talk about getting family members to test their DNA and then working with the match results. Hi, Shannon. Hi, Lisa. Thanks for having me on today. Oh, wonderful to talk to you again. You know, the holidays are typically a time when we're going to be seeing more of our extended families. So I'm sure that some of the folks who are listening are going to be really interested in asking some of those relatives that they're visiting with to test their DNA. How do you advise people to kind of approach that subject? Oh, you know, this is a great time. And that is a great question. I have people ask me when I teach and online all the time. I'm thinking about going to a reunion or visiting my family. What should I do? So it's a topic that's on a lot of people's minds. And first of all, I want to make sure people realize that, you know, my grandmother used to say you used to eat a lot more with honey than vinegar. Mm -hmm. So (laughs) always remember your best manners and be polite because some people are really concerned about a lot of different issues surrounding DNA. So people may say no. People may have questions for you. I always suggest being nice, being polite having an explanation ready. Well, why do you want my DNA? Tell them how, what you're going to do with it, how it could help them if they're interested in family history is always a bonus. And sometimes if you plant the seed and they say no, I've had people come back months later and say, you know, I've thought about it and I'm interested now. So never give hope. Always have hope that a no will turn into a yes down the road. But yeah, be prepared with some answers and be nice and polite about it. And don't be pushy because, you know, sometimes with all that stress around the holidays, a pushy relative is not something that is uh, (laughs) wanted in the kitchen. (laughs) Exactly. And really respecting people do have different perspectives on this and they're all valid, you know, so we're already at different times. And, and you mentioned privacy, and I know that really is an issue for many people. There have been some changes lately with some of the testing companies on that front. Tell us a little bit about what's changed in terms of privacy. 
some of the companies, and I'll let you know, sometimes these changes, there's no warning and they come fast at us. Yeah. But, you know, in November, Ancestry is now allowing users to opt out of sharing as another way to protect their privacy. Uh, so they can still, you know, do the DNA testing and find all the interesting information, but they don't have to put it out there. You know, in the past, it was you could choose by making like their tree private or that type of thing. But now they can actually choose to opt out of sharing the DNA. They won't even show up as a match. Family Tree DNA has had some really good privacy already built in. And one thing people forget about is, and I like to point out that they actually have a beneficiary component. So make sure you fill that out because to protect people's privacy, if something happens, let's say, you know, I'm driving to work one day and and God forbids, you know, something happens to me, unless I have a beneficiary on my account, no one will be able to access that information. So that's one of the ways Family Tree DNA helps to protect. And some of the other companies have similar things where you can opt in and opt out of various sharing or not sharing. So always read that fine print and make sure you understand what you're doing. Yeah, that's a great point. And I can appreciate that some people were maybe even finding out things that that, that's not what the purpose of their testing was for. Yes. Other people, though, they're testing because they're really hoping to find out about parentage or other, you know, issues. So, Mm -hmm. and like you said, kind of keep abreast of it, maybe keep an eye on the the Genealogy Insider blog. I know Diane posts about those updates, so you know what's changing. Oh, constantly. And sometimes it's hard for us in the industry to even keep up with it. It it can change so fast. But, you know, it's a reaction to the climate. So Mm -hmm. it's a concern among the users. Therefore, it's going to be a concern of the company because obviously they want to protect you and your interests. And, you know, you just have to kind of work together and go forward with, you know, what you can do from there on. If our relatives aren't really all into this genetic genealogy stuff, can they provide us with access to their DNA account so that we can manage things for them once they're set up? Oh, yes. And that's actually one of the things, I mean, for instance, I manage currently over 40 different DNA tests for my personal and then extended family, mainly because they're all like, we took the test for you. We have no idea what's going on. Please handle this. (laughs) (laughs) It kind of happens that way. But it's very easy for family tree DNA. It's simply knowing the person's kit number and password. If they allow you access by giving you that information, you can access their account. For example, at MyHeritage, if you're an administrator or, for example, if you were the one who actually purchased the kit and then gave it to a relative, it can be attached to your account automatically. If they purchase the kit, there is a way that they can have you then see their results. It's the same way at 23andMe. Ancestry has put in some new regulations in the last few months where if you're over the age of 18 – You can no longer be an administrator. They actually have to, the adult has to sign up with their own account. And then you can be linked to their results. It used to be where if I bought the test, I could go out and activate it and have it automatically show up on my DNA results page. And then they would be sent an email in addition. But now I don't see any of that. The adult has to do it themselves. Well, and that was a big change. And so that's all the more reason, as you said, to keep abreast of what's going on, because that could change with the other companies as well. We never know. Exactly. Um, 
Yeah. Now, of course, testing is just the tip of the Mm. DNA testing iceberg. And you're going to be teaching a workshop for Family Tree University. It's called Analyze Your DNA. So once we get these results, what are your students going to be learning in that workshop? Oh, it's going to be a week packed with information. Some of you may have recognized this title. We've done the same title in the past, but I've worked with the editors at Family Tree, and it's going to be completely new information. We've updated it over the, because obviously, once again, things change so quickly around yeah. here. So it's brand new, all new information as of, you know, the, the day I made the recordings. <laughs> so please keep that in mind. But they're going to learn things about not only um, how to analyze your results, mostly autosomal DNA focus. I will do a little bit of Y DNA and mitochondrial DNA, but be aware that it's primarily an autosomal DNA focus. We're going to talk about what you should expect to find out some of the things that you may or may not find out, you know, is there that Indian princess, as my grandmother always claimed, (laughs) we're going to have a wonderfully updated glossary of terms and words that you can print out and take with you so that you, if you're online or reading something and you just not quite too sure what it means, you can look it up. We'll have how-to videos walking you step-by-step through how to use GEDmatch and what triangulation is and what phasing is and how to use all of those types of techniques in your DNA results. And of course, a little bit of organization to throw in too, because nobody can be organized enough. (laughs) Well, there you have it. Another way to share family history during the holidays. And Shannon's course, as she mentioned, is Analyze Your DNA. We'll have a link to that in the show notes. Shannon, always great to talk to you. Thanks so much for coming back to the podcast. Thank you for having me. Hope to see everybody in December. We're going to wrap up this episode at the publisher's desk, but I see that Diane Haddad is sitting there today. Diane, tell us where Allison Dolan is. I am playing publisher while Allison is out on maternity leave. She's a little baby boy and everybody's fine and happy. So um, we'll, we'll see her again probably after Thanksgiving. Exactly. She's expanding her family tree. Well, Diane, this episode has been devoted to sharing, you know, family history for the holidays. You gave us some great ideas about creating a book. Uh, Do you have any other resources for us to kind of help get us on track? I do. I have two of them right here. Um, That's an important part of what we want to do at Family Tree is help people preserve the memories that, you know, that they're finding as they work through their family history. So, One book that we have to help people do that is called The Family Tree Memory Keeper. It is a fill-in workbook, and it is a place where you can record all kinds of family information. We have oral history interview pages, family tradition pages, pages to write down family stories, to put important photographs, um, information about family heirlooms, military ancestors, um, news articles, And then there's also places to record the names and birth dates and places of people in your family, as well as some tips to dig up all of that information. Yeah, it's a terrific book. And you know, what I love to do is just set it on the coffee table, 
right, during the holidays, both Thanksgiving and Christmas. And as people are, you know, milling around, waiting for the turkey, all that kind of thing, it's kind of fun when somebody who isn't typically into family history in the family actually picks it up and, hmm, what's this? And then the next thing you know, <laughs> they're asking questions or they're seeing how many that they can fill out. It's, it's, a, it's a really neat opportunity to, to pick up some extra stories and tidbits. That is a good trick. Yes. Now, in addition to collecting our, our family's memories and stories as a group, I think it's it's also super important that we also capture our own. I know for me now as a grandmother, you know, I start thinking about oh, what, are, what are the stories? What are the things I want to make sure I get done on paper so that my grandkids will have that? And you have a resource for that? Yes, the a counterpart to The Memory Keeper. It's called Story of My Life by our friend Sunny Jane Morton. And uh, the subtitle is a workbook for preserving your legacy. And that's kind of exactly what it is. It has prompts inside um, to help you recall information about your life and what kinds of things you want to pass on that you want the future generations of your family to know. So there are places to record names and important memories about your parents and grandparents. And then it moves kind of chronologically through your life. So it asks questions about your birth. Why were you named as you were? How, how did you feel about this name? And how do you feel about it right now? So questions like that, it takes you through elementary school and the teenage years, how you got along with your siblings and, you know, your favorite things to learn about in school and your early jobs and just progresses through your life like that. And I like that it can apply to anybody, no matter what, you know, how your life has gotten. If you got married and had children, if you were a single person, you um, stayed at home and took care of your family, you've worked in a full-time job, all of those different paths that your life can take can be part of this book and part of what you pass on to your family. Yeah, I totally agree. And and you were saying it applies to everybody. You know, I got copies for my daughters. And they're young, they're busy in their lives. But I, I think about my oldest daughter, and you know, she just had her third child. And you know, that time where you finally just put your feet up and everybody's asleep. And I'm hoping that this gives her an opportunity to write down some of those memories now, because it's a lot harder when you're 60 or 70 or 80. And you think, okay, now I'm going to sit down and record everything. But really, we have something to share throughout all throughout our life. And I would think that capturing those memories when they're closer to the time that they happened is always a good thing. That's very true. People often don't think about this kind of thing until they're much older in life. And it is something that's important to do all through. Exactly. Well, we'll have these resources for you in the show notes. We'll have links. Of course, they're available over at the store on FamilyTreeMagazine.com. And it's Story of My Life and the Family Tree Memory Keeper. Diane, thanks so much. You're welcome. Thanks so much for joining me for this November 2017 episode of the Family Tree Magazine podcast, the monthly show from America's number one genealogy magazine. Head on over to familytreemagazine.com slash podcast to find the show notes for this episode that include links to everything that we talked about. I'm Lisa Louise Cook, and I invite you to visit me at my website, genealogygems.com, where you can listen to my free podcast, the Genealogy Gems podcast, which is also available for free through iTunes, and we have an app for that. So until next time, have fun climbing your family tree.
This episode was brought to you by genealogybargains.com. Join the thousands of genealogists who have saved 70% or more on books, DNA tests, CDs, webinars, subscription websites, and gift items. Genealogy Bargains features exclusive inside deals negotiated with vendors just for you. Check out genealogybargains.com for the latest promo codes and coupons for featured genealogy and family history items.